This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's been 20 years. Iconic guests. My guest is Danica Patrick. I mean, you've been doing this for 17 years. You might be the OG of podcasts. We all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. In 2004, we launched Sports Business Radio, and David was kind enough to be my first guest. He was just joking uh, in the green room that he launched my career. So. He hasn't let me go since. It's really impossible. <laughs> my guest is Emmett Smith. I think being authentic, being who you are, and being unapologetic about it, and being open to receive knowledge in, in areas that you may be unaware of, that's okay, too. My guest is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. International growth is something that I'm always thinking a lot about, and both for the NBA and for the game. And it's it's a recognition that nothing is preordained. My guest is Bob Costas. You know, Brian, as you said, I've been so lucky and did so many things that I could never even have dreamed of doing. All I really want to do now is return to the things that are most truthful to me as a person and a professional. The biggest names in sports. My guest is Maria Sharapova. I wanted to be in those rooms and I wanted to be in those meetings because there was something inside of me that said that although tennis was a big part of my life, it wasn't going to be my life in capital letters. And I had to become savvy and smart. A big part of sport is business. Our guest this week, Sue Bird. (laughs) Who told you I'm a bowler? That's hilarious. I read that you're like a good bowler and you break 200 when you bowl. Is that not true? Is that false uh, media report? No, no, no. That's that's all fact. Welcome to year 20 of Sports Business Radio. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. We've got a fantastic guest lined up for you this week. She's been on with us before here on Sports Business Radio. Gracie Gold two-time U.S. figure skating champion and Olympic medalist. She is the author of her tell-all memoir, Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. It's available in bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. From detailing the figure skating and Olympic culture that requires perfection with performance and appearance to taking us inside of her challenging family life to giving us a front row seat to her trip to rehab where Gracie battled depression anxiety, and suicidal ideation. This is one of the most compelling athlete memoirs I have ever read. Gracie joins us to tell us why she wrote the book, how she hopes it helps others, and what her path forward looks like. This is a deep and meaningful conversation, and I know you're going to want to listen, I promise you. So Gracie Gold, on with me this week. Sports Business Radio is excited to continue to partner with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment in 2024. This weekend, members of the Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment team will be traveling to Indianapolis during NBA's All-Star Weekend as a sponsor of the NBA Wives Association Women's Empowerment Summit. They'll also be in Las Vegas for the National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches Annual Convention. The NBA Wives Association's Women's Empowerment Summit will feature programming and conversations with some of sports and entertainment's prominent names, such as Stephen A. Smith, Vivica A. Fox, and mothers and wives of current and former NBA players. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment has been a longtime supporter of the NBWA. The summit will take place this Saturday, February 17th from 11 a.m., to 3 p.m. Eastern Time at the NCAA Conference and Event Center. For more information or to request access, email gse underscore management at morganstanley.com. The National Coalition of Minority Football Coaches, or NCMFC, will host the second annual convention in Las Vegas where Morgan Stanley will host financial education programming for this year's member coach, administrators, and executives, along with their significant others on Friday, February 16th and Saturday, February 17th. For more information on that event, please contact Morgan Stanley GSE. 
via email at GSE underscore management at morganstanley.com. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing great. And, uh, you know, Monday after Super Bowl, we, I know people talk about making it a holiday because it's always hard to get up and get going because uh, it's a long day on Super Bowl Sunday, but it was a good day and a fun day and a fun game. And I know we got lots to talk about. Yeah, before we get to the interview with Gracie Gold, let's look at some sports business headlines of the week. And that is the top headline, uh, Super Bowl 58. The Kansas City Chiefs go back to back. They win Super Bowl 58, 25 to 22. Griggs, you and I had both picked 27-24 Chiefs over the Niners, so we were pretty close. Um, as I said, and many others have said, bet against Patrick Mahomes at your own discretion. Um, he's now 10-1-1 in games where he's an underdog. He's 4-0 against the Niners. I mean, in a big game, this guy doesn't lose, Griggs. He goes 8-for-8 eight eight on that final drive in OT with the winning touchdown pass. I mean, you can't get better. And he had that 20 yard run. He just knows how to win when it gets close and it's time to show up. He's, he's incredible. And the game started really slow. I mean, it was zero zero after the first quarter. I'm like, Hey, are we going to have a six to three final? It's finally got going. They loosened up, but yeah, I mean, you can't bet against the guy. He, he is the, the current goat. You got to call him the current goat that's playing right now. He's the guy you want as your quarterback. Yeah. For everyone saying he's the greatest of all time. I think Patrick Mahomes is outstanding. Let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Tom Brady's won seven. He did it over 20 years. You know, Mahomes is 28 years old. He has won his third Super Bowl, his third Super Bowl MVP. You know, he's on track to be the GOAT, but he's not the GOAT yet. Three is not greater than seven. Last time I checked, Uh, my math isn't great, but I'm pretty sure that three is not greater than seven. So, you know, we're always in this culture wanting to annoy the current and the latest as the greatest. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not ready to put him in front of Brady yet. And I'm not even sure if I'm ready to put him in front of Joe Montana. But I think Patrick Mahomes is on track if he continues this trajectory to potentially be the GOAT. But what he is right now, Griggs, is he's the face of the NFL. You know, Lamar Jackson just won his second MVP. But Patrick Mahomes is the most feared player in the NFL. And like you said, eight for eight on the final drive. And, you know, when the game is on the line and you've got fourth and one or you need someone to get you those yards, like you just know that Patrick Mahomes is going to come through. And when he doesn't, it's actually shocking. So, you know, look, I'll say this too. Brock Purdy played a decent game. Like he played, he didn't make mistakes. But when you're playing Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid, Field goals aren't going to do it. You can't get field goals at the end of the game. You can't get field goals in overtime. You've got to go, you know, as they say, if you're if you're coming at the champ, you better not miss. And they missed. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to get the touchdown. And, you know, he did. So with the game on the line and, you know, Andy Reid pulls out a, a special play there to clinch the game at the end, you don't think that uh, the guy that's going to catch the ball is going to catch it. You think it's going to Kelsey or Pacheco or someone else. And, you know, it's some no-name that they picked up at the beginning of the season who was way by the Jets, who scores the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. That's the charm of Andy Reid. Well, I think he's so good at that, too. He's so good at, like, okay, everybody's going to, you know, hone in on the the stars of the team. Let's just, you know, wheel this guy out to the to the right side, and he's wide open, untouched. So I think you're right. I think... That's where that coaching and strategy comes in. And, and Andy Reid talked about that play, the, the corn dog afterwards, uh, what they called it. So it's just like he's so creative and he uses every player on that field as a potential game winning uh, touchdown. And we saw it. All right. Andy Reid is in line for a contract extension. He makes $12 million a year right now, which is about middle of the pack for NFL coaches. So um, doesn't sound like he's going to retire. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, if he wins his 30, he might retire. Doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. You would expect that he's going to get a nice contract extension. He's going to get a bump up from that $12 million that puts him in line with the top NFL coaches. Griggs, now that he's won three Super Bowls, um, here's the Mount Rushmore of Super Bowls. So Bill Belichick, six Super Bowl titles. Chuck Knoll, four. Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, and now Andy Reid, three. That's the Mount Rushmore of Super Bowl titles. So he is an elite company. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is 28, like I said. So you've got to think that this could continue. 
I'm not sure that Andy Reid wants to jump off the uh, the carnival ride now. Like it seems like a fun ride, and I think he's going to continue. Um, we do not have TV viewing audience numbers. Remember, last year, Eagles Chiefs set the standard 115.1 million viewers. We have not received the numbers from CBS yet. Um, I would say follow us on Twitter slash X at SB Radio. And as soon as those numbers are released, we will share them with you. Griggs, this was a bad Super Bowl for Las Vegas. Remember, we said 80% of the bets were on the Chiefs. Well, guess what? The Chiefs won, and they won outright. The closing line was uh, Chiefs underdogs by a point and a half, and the over-under was 46 and a half. So the over hit at 47, so you win by half a point, and you know the Chiefs cover. So here were some notable winning bets in Vegas. $300,000 someone bet on the Chiefs getting two points, $125,000 on the Chiefs' money line, um, and then $100,000 someone bet on heads. So I know you had heads in our bet, so I think I owe you a, an atomic fireball or, or something. <laughs> Um, for you got heads and, and I had tails. A lot of the prop bets hit as well. And a lot of it had to do with the game going into overtime. It gave more time for players to get over. So Brock Purdy was over on rushing yards, 11 and a half. Travis Kelsey went over on receiving yards, which the over-under was 69 and a half. Patrick Mahomes went over on rushing and passing yards. Christian McCaffrey uh, was a huge favorite to score the first touchdown of the game, and he did on that trick play. Um, and then Patrick Mahomes was the you know huge favorite to win Super Bowl MVP, and he did. So if you just went with the favorites on the player props and you took Mahomes, who's been there before, as we told you last week, like, again, don't bet against Patrick Mahomes, you won. So Vegas, you know, we don't have the exact figures, but... Um, Tristan Davis, senior trader at BetMGM, said this was a bad Super Bowl for the sports book. You rarely hear Vegas say we lost. This was a Super Bowl in Las Vegas that the sports books got hammered on. Griggs, yeah, isn't that kind of funny too? How it was in the betting capital of the world, Las Vegas, and they didn't do so well, which was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, those bets are crazy. It's funny how close it is too. You know, it's a point two. Here, even the over under, it's so it's so amazing how they can figure out these numbers, and they're always usually close. Even if they lose those, they're still within a point. So it's always fascinating to me to see how these bets. I was sitting there counting how many times we were going to see Taylor Swift. I think that went way over uh, the four way and a half. Yeah. And we said last week that's the easiest bet of the entire <laughs> Super Bowl: over four and a half on how many times CBS shows Taylor Swift. I mean, I think it was like double digits by the end of. The telecast. And I don't know when that starts. Is it like when kickoff starts and then when the game is over? But, you know, if you're counting the entire telecast from the time she got to the venue to, you know, post-game celebration with the trophy celebration, it was at least double digits. So that was the easiest bet of the whole Super Bowl that they were going to show her over four and a half times. The anthem went over. So 90.5 seconds on Reba McIntyre. She held that note at the end and went over by five seconds. So she was over on the anthem. The Usher halftime show, uh, two and a half collaborators was the over under. He had more than two and a half collaborators who had mics. He had Alicia Keys and Ludacris and Lil John and um, you know a bunch of other people. So he definitely went over two and a half collaborators. And then purple Gatorade was the color. And that was the favorite for Gatorade color to be poured on Andy Reid. Um, purple was also the color last year. So those were some of the prop bets that hit. Um, Griggs, I want to talk real quick about some of the ads. So USA Today has their ad meter. They've done this for, God, 20 years, and they rank the ads. I'm going to go through the top six right now, and then I want to hear the ads that you liked. Um, number six, Dove. Keep her confident. I loved it. Really good ad. Um, the NFL born to play. So they talk about the international, you know, reach and impact of the NFL. Really good ad. Uber Eats. We talked about this last week. Um, it was with Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer. Um, it's called Worth Remembering. 
Kia, this was a tearjerker. Perfect 10. It's with the dad. You know, the daughter is ice skating. And then, you know, he takes her to the grandparents who weren't able to make it to the competition. And there's an ice skating rink outdoors and she competes for them. And, and it was just a really poignant commercial that comes in at number three. Number two, and this was my favorite ad, the Duncan Dunkings with Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez, Tom Brady, and Matt Damon. This was brilliant. It was a surprise. There was no buzz leading into the Super Bowl. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. How are the four of them in an ad? And it was really funny. Um, the social media activations during the game and today, Monday, have been brilliant by Duncan. So kudos to their social media team. This is what it's about. When you have an ad that creates buzz, if you can extend the buzz on social media, as David Schwab from Octagon told us two weeks ago, this is where you're going to really maximize your, your spend on that $7 million. And then check this out, Griggs, the track suits that were worn by the celebrities in that ad, they went on sale this morning. They sold out in like 15 minutes. So you cannot buy a Duncan, Dunkings tracksuit like the ones that Tom Brady, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon wore during the commercial. So all kinds of buzz around this. I think it's a huge win for Duncan. You know, people have been asking, are they going to trademark? How about them donuts? Remember in Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon delivers one of the most famous lines. How about them, Apple? Well, this was how about them donuts? And it was delivered brilliantly. Just a funny ad and memorable. And, you know, not hard to remember. Hey, go buy Dunkin' Donuts or their coffee or whatever. The number one ad, according to USA Today ad meter, was the State Farm ad with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, like a good neighbor. <laughs> not neighbor, neighbor. And it was very funny. They had to bring Danny DeVito in at the end, who's been in movies with Arnold to deliver the neighbor, not neighbor. And it was just very funny. It was clever writing. Like a lot of times in these ads, um, you know, I'm always amazed as you are that people spend this amount of money on the ads and you're like, this landed with a thud. And I'm not going to mention those companies because I don't want to rip on anyone. But the ones we just mentioned, really well done. Um, very clever, very memorable. I remember the product. You know, the NFL, again, they're trying to expand their reach internationally, as Peter O'Reilly told us on our show last week. So, you know, they've really nailed it with, I would say, their last four or five ads during the Super Bowl. As part of being the NFL, they get two minutes. So imagine that seven million dollars for 30 seconds, two minutes. By my math, that's what, 28 million? Yeah. Seven, 14. Yeah, 28 million worth of inventory that they're getting. And, you know, they've done really well with those ads. What was most memorable to you? Yeah, I think you mentioned Duncan was great. Uh, Arnold was great. The other ones that stood out to me was the uh, Messi slash, uh, you know, Ted Lasso, Michelob Ultra. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good use of star power there. And I think uh, Christopher Walken's BMW, because everybody impersonates Christopher Walken. So, of course, the whole commercial, they're all like, hey, yeah, <laughs> trying to talk like him. And he's just like, I'm over this. I thought that was funny. And I thought one of the more brilliant ones was Verizon with Beyonce. And yeah. she released a song too. I mean, she actually dropped new music last night. It's her first country, country crossover song called Texas Hold'em. So check it out. It's, it's Beyonce singing country. We got banjos, fiddles. It's pretty interesting. But I thought that was smart. You've got 115 plus million viewers, right. drop some new music. So I thought that was pretty creative how they worked that in and she dropped new music. So uh, those were kind of the ones that I stood out to me. The other one that I thought was hysterical was Michael Sarah yeah. or CeraVe, the, <laughs> the moisturizer lotion. It was so funny because they're, they're playing on his name, obviously. And it was just so corny and cheesy, but it worked. Yeah. And, you know, you remember this is moisturizer. And, you know, he had like the glamorous models with him in the commercial. And, you know, you really thought like if you were just tuning into this, you go, was he really the one that created this moisturizer? Like, wow. Yeah. But it was it was just very clever and, and well done. They activated that well on social media, too. Um, Las Vegas made a really good showing for itself with this Super Bowl. Griggs, I would expect that they're going to be back in the rotation um, again. You know, you've got the next three Super Bowls coming up. New Orleans, you've got San Francisco, Santa Clara, 
really. Um, and then you've got Los Angeles. I would expect that Las Vegas, I would be surprised if it's five more years before they have a Super Bowl again. This has become so competitive now. Miami, Arizona, um, you know, these are venues that want to be in the mix. I'm sure, even though it doesn't make sense, Buffalo is part of them building a new stadium. They're probably going to be promised a Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see in the next five to 10 years where these Super Bowls go. What did you think of CBS's coverage of the game? You know, I think how they kicked it off with uh, My Way, Frank Sinatra, and using yeah, the sphere. Really. I mean, I, I was like tearing up because the interviews yeah. with the parents and sisters crying and the yeah. players crying, that was brilliant. So I thought they started it really well. Um, Jim Nance is, is, you know, he's pure. He's butter. Tony Romo's always, you know, iffy. So he, he's kind of weird and says some funny things. But yeah, I thought the, the filming was great. The cameras were great. I thought the silent reporting was great. I mean, I really think they, they nailed it. I, uh, I watched it on traditional CBS. I didn't do Paramount Plus, but uh, from what I saw and what I, I was looking at, it was, it was great. I thought they had just it. It was well covered. I love the new additions of the goalpost uh, cam. That was good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think CBS does great. They've done great since they've, they've been with the NFL. So, yeah, I can't complain. I thought it looked great. Yeah, I thought the open was brilliant, like you said. Having Frank Sinatra, the orchestra, like they put a lot of thought into it. Um, they did a funny bit with their uh, studio crew and the hangover skit. I don't know if you saw that, <laughs> that but that was funny. And again, you know, look, you get the Super Bowl, you get millions of people watching, like have fun with it. Put some thought into it. Don't just do a normal, you know, open like you would for a regular season game. They really took it to the next level. I love Nate Burleson sitting down with Usher and they went through Las Vegas and they went to places that, you know, Sammy Davis Jr., for instance, couldn't go when he was a performer in Las Vegas. He wasn't allowed to stay in the hotel where he was performing. So I thought they did a really good job of showing the history of how far we've come. And, you know, I just like anything that brings history to the forefront of uh, whether it's society, pop culture or sports. I think is good. And I thought they did a really nice job with that piece with Nate and with Usher. Um, the game itself, I think Nance and Romo were solid. Where I think they fell down was a lot of people didn't understand the new overtime rules. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand, um, you know, the fact that there aren't reviews. There was a play that could have been reviewed and it wasn't. And I think a lot of people were like, why aren't they reviewing this? It was a spot. And it could have been a first down and they didn't review it. So in real time, I don't think Nance and Romo did a very good job of telling people like, OK, you know, they flashed the overtime rules on there, but they weren't letting people know as it go as we go along. Like, here's what's going on. Here's the analytics behind, you know, San Francisco electing to take the ball first in overtime and that. This is really quarters here that we're playing. This yeah. is not, you know, you saw the clock winding down and you're like, oh my God, you know, Kansas City better score here or the clock's going to run out. Well, no, there would have been another quarter that they could have, you know, extended to. So um, I think they needed to do a better job around that. Um, there were some injuries. I mean, the guy from San Francisco who was like running on the field and tore his Achilles they weren't as on top of some of those storylines. The one that they missed the most, and they showed just a glimpse of it halftime, and then they never went back and talked about it, was Travis Kelsey bumping his coach, Andy Reid. You see this at halftime, and then there was never any more conversation about it. And, you know, maybe it's because it's Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey, and they've had these, you know, uh, run-ins before, and they're highly emotional, especially Kelsey. But, you know, this is a big moment. It was going viral on social media. There could have been a little bit more conversation around it than there was. Yeah, I agree. And I think you go back to the overtime rules, too. I was sitting there at the end, too, because it was counting down. I'm like, what happens? They can't end in a tie. And they never mentioned, like, this isn't going to end in a tie like a regular season. We go to quarters. And actually, the official, when he came out for the coin toss, said, this is like a new game, fellas. I think that was the right. best the best info we learned. Like, OK, maybe this is like a new game. We get timeouts. We get quarters. But I agree. I think that was a, a loss there. But uh, yeah, and the, the Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, yeah, they showed that after it happened, just like the injury with the Achilles. We didn't know about it until after it happened and then never mentioned it again. But uh, of course, after the game, we talked. they talked about it. Oh, yeah, you know, we're good. He said, sorry, you hugged me later and all this stuff. But who knows? By the way, on ESPN post game, 
uh, you had Andy Reid sitting with Chris Berman and Booger McFarland. And it's well known that Andy Reid, you know, after he wins the Super Bowl, he, he likes to enjoy a little bit of food. Yeah. They brought him in and out on the set. <laughs> and I thought, A, you know, whoever from in and out delivered this, brilliant, right? You're mentioning in and out in front of millions of people on TV. He clearly was excited about eating in and out. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> and uh, I just thought like it was one of those non-paid placements that, you know, all it took was someone running down the street. We've been to Vegas, Griggs. You ran down and, and picked us up some in and out. Yep. And someone hustled and, and got that done and made Andy Reid happy. And it was a nice win for in and out. I didn't see if they capitalized on that on social media. Like they should have said, hey, what was Coach Reed's, you know, winning meal of choice? Waffle House did a funny tweet of Andy Reed holding up his play sheet and they made it look like a Waffle House menu. <laughs> and he has gone to Waffle House in the past. So he is a Waffle House customer. But like, just be on top of it. Social media teams like Duncan was like Sarah Vey was the moisturizer, um, like Waffle House was. So I, I thought there were some real wins on social media, but then there's people who spend, you know, $7 million plus on an ad and they don't activate it anywhere on social. And you're just like, wait, what? How can you not activate this on your social media channels? How can you not throw the ad up on YouTube and get more eyeballs on it? It just doesn't make sense to me. This is where some of these social teams have fallen down. The other thing, speaking of social teams, the NFL, on the NFL X and Instagram feeds, like the official NFL feeds, they're showing the video of Taylor Swift chugging the beer. Like she did chugging beer and they put it on the big screen in stadium. Like they embraced everything that Taylor Swift did. And, you know, clearly, even though they may have downplayed it this last week of their alignment with Taylor Swift, or they're embracing her as an NFL fan. Like they weren't showing LeBron James. They weren't showing, you know, any of the other celebrities that were in the audience. It was here's Taylor Swift. And, you know, there were probably multiple posts during the Super Bowl related to Taylor Swift. So I think it's smart. She's got, you know, a bazillion social media followers. Um, you know, obviously her kiss and embrace with Travis Kelsey after the game on the field. Um you know, they they captured and embraced all of that. And that's smart if you're the NFL. Well, let's not forget, too, they caught uh, Roger Goodell up there talking to Taylor, too, at the uh, halftime. So that was kind of interesting, too, or just after halftime. So, yeah, I think NFL is definitely embracing it. And uh, back to what you were saying about the ads and the social media stuff. I mean, the game is four hours long, but you're right. Social media keeps going all night long. X is on fire talking about the game and the memes and all this stuff. And that's where those ads can really continue to go, like we saw with Duncan. I mean. I saw more Duncan posts, I think, than, you know, even some of the NFL posts afterwards, because everybody was like, this is great. Let's do this. And all the you posted it, too, at uh, at your uh, X feed about the behind the scenes, you know, when they're out there throwing in the back lot yeah. with Tom Brady. It's great. It's great. It's great stuff. It's golden stuff. If you're going to capture the content, why wouldn't you share it on your social feeds? Like, it's a waste to just keep that to yourself of Brady. Affleck and Matt Damon having fun throwing the football into a donut hole target. Like, I mean, it's hilarious. And these are three of the biggest celebrities in the world. Why wouldn't you share that if you have that content? So if you're going to gather the content, share it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. There's nothing common about you. Now your talent, your drive, your achievements, or even your challenges. You need distinctive financial strategies that match your lifestyle and career trajectory. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment was created to address your specific needs at every stage of your career and deliver the financial education and strategies you need to help advance your game plan. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. That's morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, another headline. Nick Saban, former Alabama coach, one of the greatest college football coaches ever, 
He's going to ESPN. He's going to be on college game day. I think Saban's going to be great in this role. A lot of people have speculated, you know, Lee Corso has gotten older. Um, he's not going to be with us forever. And Nick Saban is a natural replacement for Lee Corso. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm sure they'll coexist. But Nick Saban to ESPN makes all the sense in the world. Um, and again, in this era of NIL and all these other things, I think Nick Saban was just done with coaching and the way it is now. Like, you're not just a coach anymore. You're a CEO of an athletic brand and department. And it's a lot for someone his age. He'll do much better as a, as a TV voice. You wonder, you know, Bill Belichick is going to be off this year. So does some TV network pick him up for at least a year and say, hey, let's get Bill Belichick on our airwaves, which I think would also be a brilliant hire. Well, Tiger Woods is returning to action this week in Los Angeles at the Genesis Invitational. You may remember that Sports Business Radio broke the story a few weeks ago that Tiger and Nike were ending their 27-year partnership. Well, Tiger announced on Monday that he's launching a new Sunday Red line with TaylorMade Golf. So it's not Sunday Red, it's Sunday Red line with TaylorMade Golf. As I tweeted out, I just don't understand the branding around this. It looks like a second grader drew the logo. Um, I don't care how much TaylorMade is paying Tiger. It doesn't look professional. Everything Tiger has done in his career has been so well thought out. He and his agent, Mark Steinberg, they have hit the mark on every partnership that they have made. I'm not even saying TaylorMade isn't a good company to work with. The branding on this is horrific. I mean, it literally looks like a second grader did the new logo. So I'm shocked. I mean, it's not often that iconic athletes like Tiger Woods missed the mark like he's done here, but that's what's happened. Um, Tiger's always going to be synonymous with Nike. That's what happens after 27 years of a partnership with someone. Um, if Michael Jordan left Nike, it would be similar. He's synonymous with Nike. So, you know, we've talked about this on the show. When you leave a company and a relationship that you've had for a long time, it's really hard. It's like uh, some of my listeners are too young, but Gilligan, Bob Denver, wherever he was going to cast, he's always going to be seen as Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. Henry Winkler, most people are going to always see him as the Fonz. Tiger Woods is always going to be synonymous with Nike. So they had their little event. They unveiled everything. Um, good luck to Tiger Woods. Good luck to TaylorMade. I think they're going to have to work real hard to equate to what the relationship was with Nike. If I were Tiger, I would have taken the pay cut. I would have continued the relationship with Nike. I would have trusted that they would have continued to get his product out to the right places. I would have maybe increased the lifestyle brand, as I said in previous weeks on Sports Business Radio, like Michael Jordan did with the Jordan brand. But uh, I do not understand this one. It is not often that an iconic athlete throws a curveball like this, and I do not understand this one. All right. Gracie Gold coming up next. Two-time U.S. figure skating champion and Olympic medalist, author of her tell-all memoir, out of shape, worthless loser. It's one of the best athlete memoirs I've ever read. Gracie Gold coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. I love innovation and I love tech. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about what Matsing is doing. You may have a solid wireless network at your venue, but do you have the highest performing antennas in the world to power your network? Matsing is the leader in multi-beam lens antennas. Venues such as AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, Allegiant Stadium, which is home of the Las Vegas Raiders and Super Bowl 58, and Amelie Arena, which is home of the Tampa Bay Lightning, all have Matsing's innovative lens antennas. As a matter of fact, Matsing's antennas are deployed at over 100 venues globally, including 50% of NFL venues, 35% of NBA and NHL venues, several Formula One racetracks, and even at the upcoming 2024 Paris Olympics. 
Do you want to deliver a fully connected venue experience to your fans? Then Madsing is the key to delivering a best-in-class mobile experience for fans who want to post pictures, watch videos, order food, or place real-time wagers. For more information on how Madsing can help your venue, visit madsing.com. That's M-A-T-S-I-N-G.com. Or email Tracy Salazar at T-R-A-C-Y S-A-L-A-Z-A-R at matzing.com. That's Tracy Salazar at matzing.com. Matzing is the exclusive antenna partner of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Gracie Gold, two-time U.S. figure skating champion and Olympic medalist, author of the tell-all memoir, Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. It's available in bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. Gracie, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. You joined me a few years ago when you came on to talk about the HBO documentary, The Weight of Gold. We had a great conversation. I'm excited to have you back. No, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited. I have to tell you, I've hosted this show for 20 years. I get memoirs sent to me all of the time. Yours is one of the best memoirs I've ever read. It is so... Thank you. Yeah, it, it's it's so real and compelling and human. And not everyone tells the raw story in their memoir. A lot of times people write the fluff piece. How did you arrive at writing such a raw memoir? I think, well, when I wanted to write a memoir, like I wanted it to be my memoir, like me as a person and not a memoir of my skating career. I feel like that's been you know, relatively well documented and that it's, you know, you can just look up my Wikipedia page for that. Um, And I felt like the only way to really tell my story is that it had to be very vulnerable and honest at times. And there were some answers that I feel like, yeah, it was I it was only I could only give the truth. I couldn't, you know, give a PC answer. And some of the tough parts, you know, I set out again to write like kind of a tell all in a lot of ways. and. There were some pretty parts of that and some ugly parts, but they were all, you know, to be authentic, I had to tell like my truth. Scary at times, but, um, you know, I'm, st- I'm pretty excited for it, though. The title of the book. So I read a book about a year ago. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, Jeanette McCurdy, I'm glad my mom died. And I, the title of that book just jumped out at me. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to read this book. Your book title also jumped out at me. I was like, oh, my gosh, what a title for a book. How did you come up with the title of this book? So, um, I mean, yeah, Jenna McCurdy's memoir um, was in some ways like an inspiration, but I loved her. I felt like you either got her title or you didn't. And that, you know, it maybe wasn't for everyone, but it was, again, it's her memoir. So who are we to tell her what to name her story? And for mine, you know, I do have a dark sense of humor a bit. So I, and I didn't want anything that, you know, has already been, you know, good as gold or go for the gold or like Gracie gets, you know, um, fall from grace. Like I didn't want anything that made it come off as a skating book. And, you know, there are like dark parts of my story, but the book, right, is split up into those four chapters. And so it only felt right that that part three, you know, what I named my that voice in your head that tells you you're an out of shape, worthless loser. That was... There were maybe like two or three others you were kind of toying with, but Out of Shape, Worthless Loser really jumped out, I think, to all of us. Yeah, it's a it's a great title. It totally stands out. You talk about kind of the four chapters of your life, the four sections of this book, the Gracie Elizabeth, the Gracie Gold, the Out of Shape, Worthless Loser, and then kind of what you've become now and who you are now. Um, one of the things that also struck me in this book Last time you were on with me, I asked you how you got into skating. You told me you were eight years old. You went to a birthday party. You fell in love with skating. In this book, you say that's what you told everyone, but you really wanted to play ice hockey. You wanted to play with the boys when you were eight years old. Did you feel like this allowed you to be your authentic self, this book? Yeah. And that story of like how I really started skating was just kind of this prime example of how, whether I just thought this is what the world wanted to hear, maybe it is. And with, that is like the preferred answer. Um, yeah, the birthday party story, to be fair, started like kind of innocently where I think I'm sure I gave that answer. 
and it just snowballed, just snowballed. Um, but yeah, at some point it was like, actually, not even that's true. Yeah, I absolutely wanted to play hockey. I wanted to go fast. And yeah, I was always, kind of, I was a rough and tumble, right, kind of tomboy that, you know, it's like, oh, ice skating's great, but like, I don't like dresses. So I'd much rather play hockey. But just, um, yeah, we really kind of wanted to start with that story because that's even where some of the, like almost like the Gracie Gold Olympic stars like origin story was is making everything PC marketable very you know late 2000s early 2010s um kind of stuff that society wanted I love that as a society we're moving more towards being honest and open and real and that we don't want the you know kind of photoshopped PC garbage that we were fed for so long yeah, and I think your book is going to go a long way in helping people be their authentic selves and be honest and tell the truth. How much pressure were you under from your parents? You know, I, I read your book, couldn't put it down, and it just seemed like from a young age, your parents were having you live the life they wanted you to live, and you kind of lost your life early on. You know, in some ways, I feel like, especially in my more, you know, angsty teenage years, that's how I felt, you know, the high school musical, the kind of, you know, it's not so my dream dad, like it's yours. But with my, I mean, with my mom, she tried her best to balance it. But I think that being a parent is uh, like, I don't want kids. I think being a parent is overwhelming. I think it is super difficult. And to be a mom that really kind of raised us by herself in a lot of ways and then that one kid, like one of them wants to be an Olympian, you know, my mom's like, I don't know about sports. I don't know about figure skating. Like, are we doing the right things? And I think that she, I think sometimes growing up, I felt like it was her dream. But I think really what it was is that she just wanted to give me the opportunity to have a dream because she never even got that. And although I feel like mothers and daughters typically have, you know, pretty standard to have a tumultuous relationship. I never, you know, I never doubted that she, that like she did her best with what she had at that time. Is it possible? I've had a lot of Olympians on this show. Is it possible to be an elite athlete, especially an Olympian, and have any semblance of a normal life? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say probably, I wouldn't say normal because to go to the Olympics is not normal. Like, I think you're statistically more likely to be struck by lightning than go to the Olympics. So you're already not, I don't think you can be normal and go to the Olympics because it's not, it's not normal. But I think that there are like healthier ways to do it than like the way that I did it. You know, I, in some ways, the, the book is like, these are all the ways to do it unhealthily. <laughs> it's how to not do it being well balanced. Um so I do think it's possible to do something abnormal without, you know, going insane. It just seems like you were competing in a sport. You have four minutes for basically you're striving for perfection. As you point out in the book, it's all about how you look and the music you pick and, you know, the costume you have on. And, you know, everything is so, you know, into those four minutes and you're getting up at four in the morning to go to practice and it just seems like this would be such a difficult life for a young person. Yeah, there were definitely times that were difficult for a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, middle school is a bad time period, I think, for most people. So to be doing that and the 4 a.m.s and the late nights and the events on the weekend and balancing school, there were a lot of tough times. But I think going to school makes Springfield, Missouri and then Springfield, Illinois, I, um, you know, in some ways, like your normal high school experience was a bit unappealing to me. Yes, there were times where I was like, oh, I want to go over to this person's house to study, but I have to go to the rink or, oh, yeah, I want to stay up all night, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I can't because, you know, I'm training for nationals. So there were some of those experiences that maybe I felt like I missed out on. But ultimately, looking around you know, at Springfield, Illinois, I was like, I don't need to peak in high school. And that skating was bringing me to, you know, the places that I wanted to go. You write a lot about your family in this book and it's not all pretty. And I thought that was part of the rawness of the book and, and something I really appreciated. Look, families are complicated. Um, I have a daughter as well. Things are, they're complicated. Nothing ever goes 
swimmingly. But how did you decide on like what to include and and what to omit from the book? Like one of the things you talk about is both of your parents come from the medical profession and you went into detail about their lives and that there's a little bit of uh, inauthentic, you know, life going on there. It was just interesting to me, the whole dynamic of you and your twin sister and your parents. Yeah, the we do have an interesting family dynamic and I couldn't, that was one of the things in the memoir, I couldn't simply omit that mm-hmm. um, because at times like our family dynamic was really, really toxic. And, um, you know, part of growing up is realizing that, you know, your parents don't know the answers to everything and that they're not perfect and they have their own issues and their own battles, right? And it was probably hardest to write about my mom because I, like, she still is the hero of my story in so many ways. And, you know, I, there wouldn't, there would never have been the Olympics or like Gracie Gold's, um, without her. And however, we both are probably like the top two most like stubborn people in the world. And so we did <laughs> butt heads a lot there. Um, but yeah, I know that my, like my mom, absolutely, her love for me is so real and that she did the best she could with, you know, a subpar husband. And, you know, I wanted some people that have been married to, you know, like they have a spouse with a variety of diagnoses. Um, so a lot of ways I look back at my childhood, I'm like, oh, she was, you know, the fact that she even was so normal, I guess, and um, was so steady for us, like rock solid. Um, it wasn't until later years when we were in our 20s that she, you know, wasn't doing as well. And we've patched up recently. We still have some ups and downs. You know, again, the mother-daughter dynamic in and of itself this is extremely interesting and sometimes volatile. But yeah, I couldn't leave them out because, again, it was part of my story and they were involved in uh particularly my father and like the undoing of our family i love your relationship with your twin sister carly and and you know just i i felt like by the end of the book i know i knew your relationship and i knew how close you were and you know it's incredible to have a sibling or a friend or someone else on this earth who just gets you and it seems like that's your relationship with your sister Oh, absolutely. Carly is, um, I mean, Carly has and always will be my best friend. She um, is my better half and like lives literally almost every way. And yet for 20, what, 21 years, we were, I mean, attached at the hip. You know, we did literally everything together, every waking moment. And so now we live apart, but it's even in my head, I'm still like, oh, it's temporary because I'm always going to go back to L.A. because that's where Carly is. Or, you know, wherever, when people ask me, like, where's home? I'm like, well, it's probably wherever Carly is. She's always been, she was, um, right, like, as I write, like, the glue of the family and kind of the stability. So, you know, in a lot of ways, my sense of home is really strongly tied to her. In the book, you talk about going to rehab, and it seems like that was a real turning point for you. That's not an easy thing to uh, you know, admit I need help and and to go to rehab. But I loved in the book how you described in detail what you learned in rehab and how that really changed your life. Um, yeah, going in, I mean, going into a treatment facility was pretty wild. Um, I'm not sure what I thought rehab was, but um, it was a little different than being, you know, in the middle of the desert in Arizona with just... Uh, yeah, like no electronics. Like I read the newspaper every day. The lack of caffeine was so jarring, but it was really such an interesting experience and a really incredible turning point. And, you know, without it, I, I'm i so much better for being there. Yeah, I think you are courageous to go. I mean, you struggled and you talk about this in the book with, you know, anxiety, depression, eating disorder. You were raped. I mean, just some horrible things. And, you know, it seems like to me, you went there and it helped you understand the human side of yourself even more. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah. And absolutely nobody knew, you know, like, I mean, 
kind of quotes like who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. It wasn't until the last, what, like maybe two or three weeks. So I was just some regular girl from Ypsilanti, Michigan that they had all just met. And yeah, it was humanizing. And I actually loved um, going to uh, meetings. And I mean, we would have like, I think the A book is really beautiful. I never, I never thought that I would have read an Alcoholics Anonymous book, but um, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, just, I felt like I met myself in a lot of ways and the people there I met, I'm still, you know, in contact with several of them. And yeah, it just was a really, I mean, I don't want to say it was absolutely a wonderful experience because it was also very, very challenging. Like I'm not here to memorize um, what rehab is like, but it was, yeah, it was a really pivotal moment for me. Yeah. And I felt like I met myself in a lot, a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I look at elite athletes like yourself. And again, the pressure that you're under to perform, especially when it comes to the Olympics. One of the things you're doing now is coaching. And I love your holistic approach to coaching. It's not just about, you know, can you land a triple axel? It's about the mental side of the sport and just of being a human. You work with young athletes, you work with adult athletes, which is amazing. How do you think going forward, we can learn the holistic approach to athletes versus just, hey, this is a robot. They need to win a gold medal. They need to get up early every morning and they need to look great when they're performing. I mean, that's a really great question. And I think that some of those behaviors you know, like are necessary. Like if you have to go to public school, your ice time is before or after school. But I think the um, the glamorization of it is a little bit problematic that somehow if you aren't getting up at 4 a.m. and if you aren't working out every single day, that somehow you're like, like, how much do you want it? You know, are you doing enough kind of thing? And it's like, I mean, just look at your results. If the results are good, then you're clearly doing enough instead of, yeah, just glamorizing the like really intense workaholic. And yeah, some of my holistic, I guess, you know, if uh, we can call it that approach is, um, you know, instead of like yelling at an athlete, you know, like if they're popping a jump or circling a jump or, you know, we're getting some back talk and having some attitude issues, you know, my first thing is to ask them, like, what are you feeling? You know, what's up? Is there something else going on? Like before I assume that you're just doing this because you don't want it enough or, or because you're just trying to irritate me or like because you don't want to do well at it, like because you don't want to train. Like, I wonder if there's something else going on, because so many times and, you know, I write in the book. Yeah. Like, oh, believe it or not, you know, Coach Alex, like I didn't want to fall on every single jump and like wipe the ice or pop right. have like um, instead of assuming that it's like behavioral and like related to laziness, just like checking in, you know, like I wonder if there's some reason that they're popping is like when you open up on a jump. So instead of doing a triple you just do a single and it can be a little frustrating to watch as a coach. And I'm sure it's like a parent <laughs> must be like, what are they do? They're just doing single jumps for like 20 minutes. But a lot of time there's a cause for that. And if not just to be irritating to the caregivers around you. And yeah, I love working with adult skaters. I mean, I say that a lot. I absolutely love working with kids and stuff, but I really do um, love working with adults because they want to know every single detail. Um, they want to know every, like exactly what goes on at every step of the jump from like their left pinky finger down to their right pinky toe. What is this? And then they ask follow questions. And as someone who loves skating and loves talking about skating and jump technique, um, I find that just so fun to teach people that are absolutely so invested in what you have to say. And that's been really, really fun. It's also a really great community. And I also think we should normalize adults having hobbies. I love that. In your book, you talk about after many years, you were finally invited to Colorado Springs and you sat down with the CEO of U.S. Figure Skating. To me, this is like, how is this not happening where the people in charge are tapping into the knowledge of the athletes and the people who are living and breathing this every day? So I was stunned that that's the first time you sat down with the CEO. But I'm also wondering, are there some things going forward that you can advise them on and that other athletes can advise the USOC and even other Olympic committees on. So we look at the athletes as humans and people and not just machines who are supposed to crank out gold medals. 
Um, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I was excited to sit down with um, Tracy, like the new CEO. And I mean, I love that because if you want to know what's going on with a certain group of people, like, why don't you ask them, right? Like, right. Both like kind of mind blowing and not, but also this new kind of management. They kind of USF has cleaned house in the last few years um, for the most part. And what I think is that they're really great about trying new things. So it's like, oh, you know, the uh, the phrase like, um, you know, like that's the way that we've always done it is. Yeah, but like, you know, what if we want to do better? And that just stunts like all creativity, like all potential for progression, like, you know, the world moves forward and, you know, you just can't be better with that kind of thinking. And so I love that at least so far, you know, the new management has been like, let's try something new because then if it doesn't work, we can go back to the old way or we'll just keep trying new things and this like effort to move the sport forward. Um, I think the other struggle, though, is um, not all NGBs are on the. I don't want to call like the mental health train, but um, I know and have heard from some other athletes that there are still plenty of NGBs that are like, we don't want to hear about the mental health struggle, like your athletes and which, you know what, if it's a business deal, I guess like, I guess at least they're, I guess, honest about it. But from the conversations I had, um, it didn't seem like they were honest about it. They they, like to the athletes. um, they just were like, oh, we're not going to do anything with these claims and that they were, you know, when even things like the Weight of Gold documentary came up, I heard some NGBs were less than thrilled and were like actively trying to squash it. And um, I love that this new management of USFS is like, no, let's hear it. Let's hear all the thoughts. Like, if we can do better, please tell us. Like, let's move the sport forward. Yeah, there has to be a different approach. Um, okay, I know we've got a few minutes left. I love what you're doing now. So you're coaching. Um, you have a boyfriend. That seems like it's balanced you out, which I, I love. You guys have a cat. Um, I just, you went to a rage room. I was like, I need to go to a rage room where you just like break things and, and you know, get your, your angst and anxiety out. You mentioned that in the book. And I was like, I need to go to a rage room. But I love how, you know, you're doing these clinics for kids you really seem to have found the human side of you and your calling going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, between the cat, the rage room was awesome. I cannot recommend enough to everyone to go to one. It was so much fun. Um, Really, truly, like, yeah, you just, we just, I mean, you, like, we, oh, I will say, though, um, my boyfriend, it was, there was a mirror in there that I really wanted to break, um, but he suddenly decided that he was superstitious. So we did have to swap the mirror out for some like other furniture, which like, I guess, fine. Um, and yeah, it's been really great. And just like trying some other things that are still, you know, that it's not Olympic athlete or bust. You know, I still will always see myself involved in the sport in some capacity. And teaching has been really great and traveling. You know, I've had the luxury to travel all over the U.S. to do that. And it's just been really, really great. And it's been a different way to experience skating. Um, that's a little bit less intense, but I'm still involved in the sport. And that's been really, really cool. I'm going to make a prediction. I think this book is going to change your life. I think the response that you get from this is going to open up avenues for you that you don't even see. And I don't know that you wrote this with that in mind, but I'm telling you, the response to this book is going to be amazing. Um, again, it, it really left an imprint on me as a parent of a 19-year-old. Um, and I think you're going to see some things fall into place as you go forward in your life. I mean, that would be incredible. But yeah, when I set out, you know, to write the memoir, like I even just kind of skimmed the part, um, where it was like, uh, cause some people have asked like, oh, what do you like make from a book? And I was like, honestly, I didn't even, or, you know, what sales would get you this amount? I was like, I don't even like it's, I read it obviously in the contract, but I was like, I'm not concern with that because I wrote this book because I feel like I had some important things to share and to talk about. And that's the reason that I did it. Um, so even if I get nothing from it, you know, no love, no fans, no support, no money, you know, I still, I, I wrote the book for other reasons besides that, but it would be super cool if that happened. 
Yeah, I think it will. I really do. And and I wasn't saying that like I think, you know, you're going to become a, a wealthy, best-selling author. That may happen, but I think people are going to read this. They're going to see the human side of you. They're going to feel uh, more courage to come out maybe with their story or to take on some of their demons. And, and you know, I just commend you for, what are you, 28 years old? Like you are one of the most mature, wise 28-year-olds I've ever talked to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it took it took a lot to get here, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was a long time coming. I think I was emotionally stunted for so long, but then I had to grow up like really quick in my 20s. <laughs> mm-hmm. So last question for you, you know, what do you hope when someone reads this book, what do you hope they take away from it? I mean, that's a great question that I haven't honestly I've been asked that kind of a few times or like, you know, what do you what do you hope it inspires in people? And I haven't found an amazing answer yet, but I... In some ways, you know, I want people to see and kind of meet me for the first time and not this like ice princess, but also just to talk about what it was like to be like a woman and a woman in figure skating and a woman in sports. And, you know, I just feel like there's so many different parts that people can resonate. Like, I don't want to limit it to just one. And that's why I've been saying, like, yeah, it's not really a skating book necessarily. Like, if you don't know anything about skating, don't worry. Um, We just... um you know, we just have the skates on the front cover, like for some context. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, and just talking about it and being, I don't know, honest about life. I just sometimes think like life is really hard. And there was, at least I felt for a long time growing up that, you know, if you just got to a certain point, like then it wouldn't be hard. Like, oh, if I just got to the national championships, you know, then it would all, then it would get easier. And it, it just gets harder and like, it's just as hard sometimes. It's just like life's really hard sometimes and that and that there are ups and downs, but it was, you know, certainly good for the plot. And yeah, I mean, in sport, I hope it moves skating forward. I hope we start having more conversations in a sport that I feel like for a long time has been so traditional. You know, I want skating to be more accessible. I think in a lot of ways, right, if you're not in a certain tax bracket, um, if you're not white and if you're like over the age of 12, it seems like, oh, why would I start skating? And that's like just limits the amount of people that enter skating right. so severely. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Like skating is for everyone absolutely all the time. And there's so many avenues skating can bring you. Um, it's not just the Olympics or bust. And, and it's like the longest winded answer I've ever given in my life. But um. I, I hope that people take a lot from it. I don't think I can just pick one thing. That was really the answer I just should have given up. That's top of that. No, it's a great answer. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, just talking to you here, like there's been a weight lifted off your shoulders. You've told your story. It's out there in the world. It comes out today. Um, and I think that's liberating in and of itself. Gracie Gold, author of the memoir, Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. It's available in bookstores everywhere and on amazon.com. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Continued success to you. I love what you're doing in this world and uh, continued success to you. No, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on again. Thanks, Gracie. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further then Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for sports business radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. 
Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Nicole Wardle, and Josh Blank. A reminder to kindly subscribe to our award-winning podcast. Our feed features 20 years of podcasts with the biggest names in sports and business. Go to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and click on the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner. That way, every episode of Sports Business Radio will be delivered to your listening device each week. We'd love to have you give us a five-star rating and write a review of our podcast as well. It'll take you just two minutes. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, X at SB Radio, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. SBR is produced by Brian Griggs at griggsproductions.com.